Praise God. Hey, Balcony, how y'all doing back there? All right, y'all filling it up back there. All right, that's what I'm talking about. So glad that you are here. So glad I'm here. I just celebrated 64 years yesterday. So hey, hey. God is good. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen. So we're going to make it quick because Ken is preaching. Uh, evangelist to evangelist. Uh, we know, we know, we know. He, I think he got a little Pentecostal flavor, so it, we kind of long-winded. So here we go with the announcement. There are so many opportunities for growing spirituality, for worship and service here at Whitworth coming up this next week. So we want to highlight a couple of things this morning. Say tonight. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Hosanna 945. And I'm sure you've noticed the banners hanging from last week's uh, Hosanna that students made as an expression of worship through art. Wednesday night, say awake. Awake, awake is not in the hub, but will instead be at the awake house. Say at the house, <laughs> not the hub. Uh -huh. Just down the hill from the field house for praise and pancakes. Ooh, at 9.30 tomorrow night. Ooh, you get to eat too. That's all right. So how many of you have served as summer fellows through Whitworth's Office of Church Engagement? We thank you. I'm sure that many of the rest of you are familiar with the wonderful fellows program that sends out 75 students every summer to serve and learn in churches and other ministries in the Western United States and over the world. If you are interested in learning more about the program, there's information meeting tomorrow here in the chapel with Catherine McInturf at 7 p.m. We're going to have Talia come up right quick to give us a quick announcement. She is our ASWU spiritual coordinator. Thank you, Mom Beans. Yeah, my name is Talia Jackson. I'm the spiritual life coordinator here for campus. And I'm really excited because my first event is coming up this coming Monday. It's called Unveiled Worship. It's going to be a night of beautiful praise and worship. We're combining a bunch of different styles of music, both gospel and contemporary. We got different languages. We have the privilege of having Shades of Africa perform, as well as Jubilation. There's a student that's going to be signing. We have painting. It's just going to be a wild, crazy night for a loving and living God. So, so this is the correct time on uh, Pirate Port. It says 7 p.m. to 8.30. This is the time you need to pay attention to, 8 to 9.30, and it's going to be in the RTT. So I'd love to have all y'all there spread the word, and just thank you for allowing me to share this with you. All right. A lot of worship going on. It's good to worship, but it's also good to pray. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, you gather us together in our faith journey, trusting in you, and we join one another as a community, a community of faith on a journey, a journey to grow ever deeper in our faith, in our love, in our desire to long for you. But along the way, remind us of your love, of your sacrifice for us, of your ever-mindful presence. Let us never lose hope along the way. Help us to be strong, strong in faith, strong in love, strong in our desire to be ever-mindful of your presence. For in it's your strength and your love and the graces you bestow upon us that we might find and go out and share in your love and faith with those in our community. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, Steph. 
It's good to be with you this morning. Um, you know, I, I think we're living in some historic times where the reality of our relationships are being tested at, at, at all levels. Um, I've heard many of your stories in this room, students, uh, in which friends and your family uh, have disagreed passionately uh, around issues of gender, around issues of political concern, church matters, the environment, uh, economic realities. And it, 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 you've talked to me about there being almost a block. There's been almost no way forward. I've overheard a heated exchange this last week, the other day around uh, the growth of the Me Too movement, where women are standing up to stop the widespread prevalence of sexual assault and harassment by men, and in the argument, I could see walls going up, and man, it got heated. Uh, the Black Lives Movement has called us to be honest about the reality that we're still dealing with racial tensions in our country with another recent shooting by a white police officer. It doesn't seem to be going away. And I have had several conversations with you, in fact, one this last week with my own in-laws about what they think the real problem is. And it got heated and walls went up. And as mostly white privileged people and as a white male, uh, I think we need to stop for a little bit and ask ourselves some deep questions about the particular lens that we view the world through. And uh, if maybe, I, I could get it wrong. And these are the issues, by the way, that the disciples faced one day as they stopped with Jesus for a little rest in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Listen to this, chapter 15 of Matthew. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. The Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and said, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Uh, he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. I got problems with this section of Scripture. I mean, Jesus doesn't respond to her? Are you kidding me? Since when does that happen? The disciples want to send her away and Jesus doesn't say anything? I mean, I would have the ground open up and suck them in, you know, if I was God. <laughs> Jesus says, I have only come for, the, for Israel? And then he calls her a dog. Come on. I mean, bummer section of scripture I have. Uh, Maybe in order to understand this, we need to go back into history a little bit and understand what's going on. Clear back to when Israel was freed from Egypt, and God had given them a promised land. And here's what God says out of Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Jerzites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jesuvites, and the Parasites, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> 
seven nations, larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them, show them no mercy, do not intermarry with them, do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. God told them to take the land and kill the people. I've never used this section of scripture for like a kickoff Young Life Club talk. <laughs> hey, welcome to the new fall. <laughs> you know, it's not really a part of the Jesus Calling devotional either. Like it kind of starts your morning off in a bad way. <laughs> so we have to be honest, this is troubling. Some would say, well, the Bible said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Um, well, this section of scripture has been used throughout history to give supposed Christians licensed to violently kill during the Crusades of the 11th century, Spanish Inquisition of the 14th century. It led the British, the Dutch, the Spanish, and Americans into a theology of what we call manifest destiny, apartheid in South Africa, that basically said it's our job, the idea that the West was destined by God to expand its dominion and to spread Christianity and whatever else, to do whatever it takes to rule and subdue the earth for God. That section of scripture right there. On May 26th, 1637, an army of English settlers under the leadership of Captain John Mason set fire to a Pequot Indian village, lit it on fire, burning several hundred women and children, and anybody who tried to escape, they killed with a sword, totally destroyed them. Puritan John Underhill wrote this in his journal. Down fell men, women, and children. Should not Christians have more mercy and compassion? Sometimes the scripture declareth, women and children must perish with their parents. We had sufficient light from the word of God for our proceedings. You know, if God can tell you know, Israel to take out the heathen Canaanites, those seven tribes, destroy them, then we can follow suit and take out the heathen, you fill in the blank, in the name of God. Now, so, uh, just so you know, I don't have time to go into uh, what do we do with the violence in the Old Testament. Uh, talk to Will Kine, or I'd love to have coffee to talk a little more. We'd be here uh, for a whole semester. But this, suffice it to say this, the disciples were following the Deuteronomy principle. We hate Canaanites. And we should have been faithful and probably killed them all. Joshua blew it. He should have chased them down and killed them all. Send her away. That's the disciples. And let's be honest. Jesus calls her a dog. Is Jesus a racist? Hold on. <laughs> let's get a little context here. If we go back up and look at what's going on prior to this section of Scripture in Matthew 15, the first 20 verses, Jesus is in a heated argument with the Pharisees who are complaining that he and his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. They had all these purity codes about cleanliness. And Jesus gets into this big argument with them, and finally Jesus says this. It's not about an uh, outside show. He says it's not about what's on the outside. What goes in doesn't matter. It's what comes from within. 
Here's what he says. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and what comes, then comes out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus talks about what really matters. Not outward purity, but inward ideologies, thoughts, biases, hatreds. It's these that bubble from, up from within. And it's these that cause the real problems in our world. And you're worried about washing hands. And Jesus' little posse, his disciples are like, bam! Yeah, you are the outside showboys. It's what's the inside. We're with him. And then the section of scripture we just read. Jesus exposes what's in the hearts of his disciples. Oh, they look so good on the outside. But on the inside, they were racists. And this is the sixth section of Scripture, Matthew 15, right? Let's play it out. This woman is begging Jesus. Her daughter is demon-possessed. This is disturbing. And Jesus does not answer a word. And I think he looks at this woman. I think there's a tear in his eye. And he doesn't answer a word, but he looks at his disciples. And she's talking. And finally, his disciples say, don't just stand there, say something. Send her away. She's a freaking Canaanite. And I think Jesus is still looking at his disciples, and this woman's standing here. And he says, well, he found out what's in their hearts. They're racists. And he answered, I, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the disciples give a little fist bump. That's us. In the midst of that racism, this woman has the courage to kneel down now before Jesus. And she begs him, help me, Lord. And I think Jesus, again, looks at his disciples. He says, well, it's not right to give to the dogs the bread from the children's table. And the disciples step forward and go, yeah, that's what we're talking about. And then I think Jesus, still looking at the disciples, kneels down, takes this woman's face and lifts it up and says, oh, you have such incredible faith. In the midst of my racist friends, you knelt down. Of course your daughter's healed. And I said, I think he looked at his disciples and went, oh, oh, and they kind of walked off. Whoa, how beautiful. Jesus breaks the racial tradition of the entire Old Testament. And look at the literary imagery of all of this, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. Even at Wazoo or, you know, at the Mount Spokane High School, they have the Bible as literature. They don't even think it's inspired, but they're amazed by just the literary crazy. It could be inspired. What do you think about that? The literary crazy of it all. Because in Deuteronomy 7, I mean, this is amazing. Destroy the Canaanites. Canaanite women are dangerous. They lead Israelite boys astray. Kill them. But here, Jesus lets 
a Canaanite woman lead 12 Israelite boys in the way. The way of God. A God that is for all people. Jesus does not follow the no mercy rule for the Canaanites. And at this point, this is so cool, Jesus' ministry goes multicultural. Check this story out. The next section of scripture, right after this, is the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus has been with all these people, like 4,000 plus, for like three days teaching and healing. And then here's what we read. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, well, where can we get enough bread to, in this remote place to feed all these people? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. After the disciples, afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Now, most of us are familiar with chapter 14 of Matthew, the feeding of the 5,000. And if you realize in that story, the feeding of 5,000 was in Jewish territory. And at the end of that story, if you recall, the disciples, 12 of them, picked up how many baskets of bread and fish left over? 12, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 faithless, faithless disciples. But this feeding is in Canaanite territory. Aren't the numbers interesting? How many baskets? Seven. How many loaves? Seven. How many tribes of the Canaanites? Seven. That's pretty cool. Could be inspired. I invite the worship team to come up. I want to say this in closing. You know, here with the Canaanite woman, Jesus began the ultimate goal of the mission of God, which started clear back in Genesis chapter 12 with a guy named Abraham. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, to be a blessing for every nation on the earth, including Canaanites. So what? What does this say to us? Well, it forces us to ask a big question, right? Versus me. Um, am I a racist? Are there certain people I don't want to love? Am I a womanizer? Do I subtly treat women, women a little inferior? Or do I shame other men for being feminine? Man up. It's interesting we never say woman up. Do I sort of hold on to an American elitism that subtly sees other cultures as substandard, less able, and maybe even unintelligent? Do I classify certain people of certain color with certain accents in certain parts of our town or in particular countries with particular religious beliefs, and do I sort of keep away from them? Have I ever talked to someone who is gay about what they think about God? Or do certain types of people just set me off? make me uncomfortable, or do I just plain ignore them? Do you act like Jesus? Or do you respond like the disciples? Send them away. She's been bugging us. Here, 
the word of the Lord. Whitworth, may we look seriously at our own lives and bring before the Lord the many insidious and subtle ways we discriminate, judge, point the finger, cross to the other side of the street from, not look in the eye, not sit at the table with, not talk to while standing in line at the dining hall, the ways we distance ourselves from those around us who aren't like us, who are different, have a different religion, who aren't from here, the ways we've considered our interests instead of the interests of the oppressed and the less fortunate, and may we stand up for the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who spoke against the racism of his friends, and he loved the most hated. And he took the good news to those who were previously considered dogs, cursed, not one of us, and radically welcomed them in. Live out, Whitworth, the scandalous inclusion of Jesus. Go in peace.